Well, thank you uh, for being here this morning. If you have children that are going down to Children's Church, uh, kindergarten through third grade, they can dismiss with Miss Melody. If your children are staying with us, there are activities on that back table that they are uh, free to grab and take back to their seat uh, and use throughout the sermon. There's also a sermon notes uh, designed for them. Uh, Today, we are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' first recorded teaching in the book of Matthew. Jesus had just begun his ministry and had been healing people and had drawn quite a following. And so he takes his 12 disciples, and they estimate between 1 and 200 followers uh, with him. And he just begins teaching them on a hillside in Galilee. And so the audience for this message and for this whole Sermon on the Mount are his followers, or at least those that are interested in him and in the faith. And in this sermon, Jesus is challenging his followers to more than just external righteousness. He is calling them to heart change as opposed to religious duties. He began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes in which he called things blessed, which are not what we typically would call blessed. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. And in that, he said, blessed are those of us that recognize that we are sinners and we mourn over our sin before a holy God. And Jesus says we are blessed because we have recognized our sin and our need for saving. And it's that recognition, that humility that leads us to surrender and experience his forgiveness, his grace, and eternal life. From there, Jesus lays out uh, out the attitudes, the heart of his followers. And he says, those that live like me will look different than the world. And they will shine my hope to the world around them. And then today, we are continuing this section on how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and calls us to more than just the religious hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day. The religious leaders had sought loopholes to just about every command in the Old Testament. And they had taught that as long as you kept the letter of the law, then you were good. Your heart and your attitudes didn't matter. As long as you didn't kill someone, you can hate them, you can sabotage them, you can abuse them, you can tear them down. Just don't plunge the knife or pull the trigger. And there are six different examples of this that Jesus lays out and that we are walking through. The first one was murder. The second and third last week were adultery and divorce. And today we come to the subject of oaths or truth-telling. So if you'd like to go back and catch up on any of those messages, they are on Apple Podcasts or YouTube by searching Living Hope Green River. Again, if you flash back to verses 13 through 16, Jesus says people will see that we are different as Christians, as his followers, by the way we live. And today's message is a perfect example of this. Lying is such a part of our society that if we are truth tellers, then we will naturally look different than the world around us. And we will bear life. We will provide salt to the culture in which we live. An Associated Press survey found that 65% 65 of Americans believe it is okay to not hurt someone or to tell a small lie like calling in sick for work or to blow off a, a date or a meeting that you don't want to go to. I love the show Seinfeld back in the day. That's probably making me sound old. But as George Costanza said, it's not a lie if you believe it. I love that. Uh, Ethics columnist Randy Cohen writes, not only is lying justified, but sometimes it is a moral duty, he says. So we as a culture have twisted lying to not only justify it, but go so far as to call it a moral duty. And the Pharisees have been doing the same thing, teaching the same thing. But as we all know and have experienced, lies eventually are found out. And they lead to a loss of our credibility and our witness. I think this has been front and center in our culture in these last few months, if you watch the news at all, with the revelations about Congressman George Santos, who was recently elected. After Mr. Santos was elected, discrepancies were found in his educational history and his work history. He had made up degrees and made up workplace experience that was non-existent. 
Now, Santos is surely not the first person or the first congressperson to do this. And that was essentially his defense when asked about it. He justified his actions by the commonality of the offense. He said in a CNN article I found, I am not a criminal, not here, not abroad, in any jurisdiction in the world have I ever committed any crimes. To get down to the nit and gritty, I'm not a fraud, he said. I'm not a criminal who defrauded the entire country and made up this fictional character and ran for Congress. I've been around a long time. He says, I mean, a lot of people know me. They know who I am. They've done business dealings with me. Then he says, I'm not going to make excuses for this, which is always comical when you follow that with the word but. Uh, I'm not going to make excuses for this, but a lot of people overstate in their resumes or twist it a little bit. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of that. And it's such our culture. We live in a world that justifies and excuses lying. But Jesus today is going to call us to more. He is calling us to be a people of truth. He is calling us to be a credible people that can be trusted by those that we live life with. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33 and reading through verse 37. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the clarity of the Sermon on the Mount and for what you are calling us to be and to do as we follow you and as we live in, as salt and light in this world. So God, I pray that you would just speak uh, through this passage to our hearts and to our minds, Lord, that you would uh, convict us of those areas where maybe we are living in the gray instead of following you in truth. And God, we pray that you would call us to uh, people that be a people who are truth tellers, that are trustworthy, that are credible in all walks of life. Um, God, and that our truthfulness and that our uh, desire to follow you will point people to you and to the hope of your words and your message. God, we love you and we praise you and it's your name we pray. Amen. So as we said earlier and we said last week, this is one of six examples in which Jesus is setting a precedent on how we understand the law and how we live it out. Jesus is telling us that God doesn't just desire we jump through religious hoops, but he desires that our hearts are transformed and they become more like his. So let's get a little bit of background on what the Old Testament says about oaths and lying, and then we'll get some background on what the Pharisees and religious teachers were teaching during that time. So here in verse 33, Jesus is giving us a summary of several Old Testament commands related to the taking of oaths. For example, in Leviticus 19.12 reads, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord Yahweh. And so one of the ways we can break the third commandment that we shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God is when we swear falsely on God's name. Or we read in Numbers 32 reads, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he said. And so the Old Testament says we must not make any oaths in God's name that are not either true or that we do not intend to keep. The Old Testament says we are not honoring God when we make oaths in his name and we don't keep them. But Jesus is going to expand this. And the problem is not with this Old Testament teaching. Uh, We saw two weeks ago, Jesus came to uphold and fulfill the law. There was no problem with setting into place a standard in which people told the truth and upheld their commitments. The problem was with the Pharisees and their teaching. The Pharisees were reinterpreting this law to create loopholes to lie just as they had done with murder and adultery. And what the Pharisees were teaching was this. They would say, do not break your oath. 
but keep the oath that you have made to the Lord. And they focus just on this phrase, to the Lord. Meaning you should keep any oath that you make to the Lord, but any other oath you make, you don't have to keep it. And if you didn't make any oath at all, you surely didn't have to keep your word. Well, as you might imagine, people kind of caught on to this, and they became even better at their lying. They would try to make it sound like they were swearing to God without actually swearing to God. It was like the little kids, like in the second graders, when they put their fingers behind their back with them crossed. Like this was this game with the Pharisees. And so what they would do is they would swear to heaven instead of the Lord. Or they would swear to the temple or to the altar or to, or to Jerusalem. And the Pharisees had developed this like ranking system in which they ranked what you swore by, by how important it was that you kept your oath. Right, the whole system was crazy, and that's what Jesus is addressing in this passage when he talks about swearing to heaven or swearing to earth. Uh, if you go to Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, Jesus expounds upon this hypocrisy, and he goes into the detail about what these different things that they would swear to. And, and so that's kind of the setting of, of where they were. This was becoming this game to them. And since we're focused on honesty today, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I have never seen the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, I tried to watch it this week just so I could use this illustration and say I've seen it truthfully, but I just couldn't get through it. I don't get it. I, I've tried. I know some of you love it, but I don't get it. But here's the illustration, and you might relate to it if you like this movie. Uh, but apparently in the movie, there is a character who was a master of legal maneuvering. His name is Captor, Captain Hector Barbosa, and he is a pirate who is always careful to keep his word, but yet he's intentionally deceptive at the same time. For example, at one point, he promises to let a young maiden go free, and then he proceeds to make her walk the plank instead. One of the characters protests and says, Barbosa, you are a liar. You swear she'd go free. To which he responds, don't you dare impugn my honor, boy. I agreed she'd go free, but it was you who failed to specify when or where. And so he sets her free by making her walk the plank. And that's what the telling the truth had become for the Pharisees. It was a game of semantics, and it had become impossible to trust anyone at their word. Right? They were the lawyers and congressmen, apparently, of Jesus' day. But we do this every day as well. We don't do it with oaths, but we do it with our words. We talked about in the introduction, but I would guess more than 65% of people in our culture would say it is okay to lie if it avoids conflict or hard things. Right? When we are asked to do something or to help someone with something, we love to give a maybe, but we know there's no way we're showing up, right? Or, or, we, or, or, or we'll say that to help avoid the conflict. Many of us will lie without second thought if it keeps us from getting us into trouble or we perceive it might save our reputation. I think for many of us, we feel that anxiety in our stomach and we feel the heat in the room increase. And our natural instinct is to say any lie that might get us out of that situation and out of that perceived threat. So we might not have these elaborate games and system the Pharisees have, but we have this same heart and instinct. And as we've seen throughout this whole section, God is more concerned about our hearts than any fake righteousness. And that's our first point, and it'll probably be our first point the next two weeks as well. But God is concerned with our heart and not our fake righteousness jesus says here stop lying stop playing games and simply tell the truth let your yes mean yes and your no mean no you don't need an oath in order for your word to be trusted and in fact jesus would say your oaths are probably weakening your truth right if you need an oath to be deemed trustworthy then you're probably not a trustworthy person at all i've told you stories about my dad before uh, and many of you have probably met my dad but 
my dad is a plumber in Oregon. He owns a small plumbing company. And so uh, from junior high through college, I spent my summers working with my dad. Uh, and my dad is smart. He is down to earth. Like, he is just like a wise man. You need, you need wisdom. Go and see my dad. But I will never forget one day I was working with my dad and we were out bidding a job. And this person just over and over kept telling us that they were good for their money. It wasn't a huge job, so we went ahead and did it. But I will never forget getting back in the truck with my dad. And he said, did you hear what that person said to us over and over again? I said, yeah, they said that they were good for their money. That's a good, that's a good thing. We want their money, right? Uh, and he said, yeah, that's what they were saying. But there's a good chance we never see any money for them. Or it is going to be a hassle to get it. He said, it is assumed that people are going to be good for their money. Anyone who has to tell you that they're going to be good for their money, they probably aren't. And it rang true in that instance, and it has rang true time and time again in life. Right? That person is self-conscious. They're covering for uh, their lack of truth. They're, 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 not, they're, they're willing to not do something. They're overcompensating by essentially making an oath. That's kind of an oath in our culture to try and get you to trust them. And my experience is that when people go out of their way to tell you that they're honest, that they have no agenda, that they don't want to cause problems and so on, right, it usually ends up they do have an agenda. Why would you say that otherwise? When I have conversations with people, uh, I assume that they are telling the truth and those things aren't going to happen. Uh, I get this in the, uh, the church world even from time to time, especially from those with church experience who are feeling a little guilt about their shortcomings or maybe their sin. I talked to a fellow pastor, my, my good friend this last week, and we had a mutual acquaintance show up at his church. And this friend, or not, he's not a friend, this acquaintance, let's go acquaintance, showed up at his church. And he assured my pastor friend that he didn't want to cause problems, that he didn't want to create a church split, and he didn't want to undermine his role as a pastor. Like, why would you ever have to tell somebody that at your first meeting? Right? It's genuinely assumed that if I show up to your church that I have no desire to cause problems, create a church split, or undermine your pastorate. Right? That doesn't make sense. Or you'll get people, uh, or I'll get people, that, you'll get people with religious hypocrisy that Jesus is going to address in chapter 6. Like people will tell me when I first meet them about their past church attendance or about their, their tithing or about how they pray. And I would say, well, that's great, but that's kind of between you and the Lord. But often it's more than, than not that. It's, it's an oath or either trying to impress or compensate for something that is lacking in their life. Jesus tells us how to interact. He tells us how to be a part of the church. Right? You don't have to point those things out unless they are lacking in your life. And so our oaths, our promises, they often weaken the truth. They often weaken our trustworthiness. Commentator G. Campbell Morgan wrote, An oath is always a revelation of a possibility of deceit. I like that. The only reason, reason oaths exist is because lies exist. If everyone everywhere just told the truth, there would be no need for oaths. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, The Old Testament condemned the lie by the use of the oath, but Jesus destroys the lie by forbidding oaths altogether. The oath must go since it is a protection for the lie. In verses 34 through 36, Jesus reveals the hypocrisy of the oaths and the games the Pharisees were playing. Those are all examples of things they would swear against in order to be okay to lie. As long as they didn't swear to Yahweh or to God, then their word didn't matter. As we said, they were essentially those second graders with their fingers be crossed behind their backs. We also see in those verses that God is always a witness to our word and to our lives. He doesn't just all of a sudden magically tune in when we say his name. But he is always present and he always cares what we say. 
So Jesus in verse 37 says, let's stop playing games and just tell the truth. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And so our next point is quite simple, uh, but it is just be truthful in all your talk. We are not called to tell the truth only in court, only in the church building, only with fellow Christians, but we are called to be people who speak truth always to all people, no matter the circumstances or setting. But why does it matter that we are a people that tell the truth? We flash back once, but if you flash back to verses 13 through 16, where God calls us to be a people of salt and light in the world. If you want to be a person that looks different than the world and shines Jesus to the world, then be a truthful person. Be a person that is trustworthy, whose words match their actions, that is dependable, that has integrity in their words and actions. In your home, be a person that tells the truth to your children. When you speak truth in your home, your children know that they can come to you with any question, any situation, and they can get the truth from you. But this means speaking truth to difficult questions. This means being a parent and a spouse that follows through on your word. I don't know about you, but as a parent with young children, I I feel like often I spend 90% of my day throwing out consequences or potential consequences for disobedience. But part of being a person of truth is that we follow through on our words, on our consequences when our children disobey. Right? Otherwise, they learn quite quickly we don't keep our word and that our parents aren't going to hold us accountable. And that belief quickly translates to all areas of lives, of our lives. Look at our world right now. We see this in our world right now, don't we? There are many laws that either aren't being enforced or the punishment for the crime has become non-existent. And what has happened in those communities? It's chaos because people know they aren't going to be held accountable and the rule and laws aren't upheld with truth. Truth matters. Matching, matching actions and follow through to words matters. And this applies in our work with our friends in the church, at the gym, and our recreational activities. We are called to be a people of truth. Quick, I mean, you can come up with your own examples, but here's a couple few quick ones. When you're filling out your time card and you feel that temptation to stretch the truth, still fill it out truthfully. When you feel that temptation to exaggerate your role or your accomplishments in life or in a story, be humble and be truthful. When someone asks to help with something, don't give a yes if you have no intention of being there or helping. When you commit to be there, when you commit to help, to meet someone or, or to go to lunch with someone, do everything in your power to keep your words. Now, there's obviously times that stuff comes up, but don't be the person that cancels every time they say they will be there. Be a truthful and reliable person in all phases of your life. When someone asks for feedback, honest feedback, and you're tempted just to be a yes man, be a friend that speaks truth and life and can be reliable. We all love the yes men at times. We know who they are. We know to go to them when we want the, the yes. But we also need those friends that are honest. Those are the friends that ground us in reality. We don't have to be mean about it. Paul in Ephesians 4 says to speak the truth in love. So we don't weaponize the truth to tear others down, but we speak the truth in love, with an attitude of love, with a desire to build others up and help in the long run. The truth matters, and we are called to be a people whose yes means yes and no means no. But in order to be a people of truth, we must be a people whose lives are built on a foundation of truth. We talk about this often, but we live in a post-truth world in which the world generally doesn't believe in absolute truth. Truth has become subjective in all areas of life. And as truth becomes subjective, then the need to tell the truth becomes optional as well. But as followers of Jesus, the Bible is our source of truth. It is authoritative in our lives. 
But we have to make that decision. We have to decide what is going to be my source of truth as I navigate and I walk through this life. Is my source of truth going to be the Bible or is it going to be myself? Is it going to be the world? Is it going to be Google? Is it going to be my friends? Is it going to be my favorite blogs? Is it going to be my favorite news station? What is going to be my source of truth? Or maybe I'm going to believe there is no truth at all. And so that's our, our final point and our final question, which kind of is the foundation for this whole message. And that is, what is my source of truth? We saw this a few weeks ago when Jesus said in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, from the Bible, until everything is accomplished. Jesus here is telling us that the Bible is our source of truth, and it is authoritative over our lives forever. The Bible does not fail, it does not wilt, it does not disappear until it is finished and accomplished one day in eternity. Jesus in John 8, 31 through 32 says, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says it is his teaching, it is his ways, it is his word in which the truth is found. And when we follow them, they will set us free, and they will guide us in this life. We were in James 1 last week in small group. Verse 25 says, says whoever looks intently into the perfect law, into the Bible, that they, that they will receive freedom. Right? We often think, it, think of, and the culture tells us the Bible is outdated and it restricts us. But Jesus and James tells us that not only is the Bible truth, but its ways set us free and they give us life. They set us free and they give us life ultimately in eternity in heaven, but they also set us free and they give us life today. They give us life from the temptations, the consequences of sin, and from the drama and trial that sin causes in this life. The Bible was created to be and should be the source of truth for Christians. And when, and, and when it is our source of truth, we have a foundation to stand on in this ever-changing, ever-shifting world. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we hear on Sundays. But then we go to work on Monday. We go to school on Monday. And we hear a different message from the world. Right? Our culture tells us that objective truth is unknowable. Our culture tells us that ultimately truth comes down to our interpretation of whatever is going on. Our culture tells us that ultimately truth comes down to you and what you think and what you've experienced. Our culture, and I think especially younger generations, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. This, is, this, is what, this was our truth. This is what we were taught. But we, are, we generally hesitate to accept any truth outside of our personal experience and opinion. We like to avoid arguments about the personal behavior, morals, politics, and religion because we say phrases like this. Well, what works for you works for you. And we all have our own truths. And those cliches, they sound really good on face value. But we quickly realize a world without absolute truth is complete and utter chaos. Without absolute truth, without the Bible as our foundation, we are like a wave tossed in the ocean. There's all of a sudden nothing firm in our lives that we can trust in. And we see this playing out in our culture today. We have confusion in our culture and questions and heartache in our culture about the things that the Bible tells us is true and that has been held as truth for thousands of years. And we see this isn't creating freedom in our world. It's not creating freedom in people's lives, but it is creating confusion and heartbreak. If there is no absolute truth, and truth is only defined by my feelings, my thoughts, and my experiences, that we are left with, with essentially anarchy in our lives and our society. 
And so we have to decide, what do we believe and what do we stand on and stand for? Do we believe the Bible is our source of truth and will we stand for its truth? Or will we be a wave tossed to and fro by our feelings and the feelings of the world? We can't be truth tellers. We can't be promise keepers until we have established and settled on our source of truth. Because if there is no absolute truth, then what am I held to? What are my words judged by? All of a sudden, I'm back to George Costanza at the beginning. It's not a lie if I believe it or I feel it. Again, that might sound freeing, but we quickly realize that belief system leaves us searching. It leaves us confused, confused, and it leaves us ungrounded. So you have to settle in your life, in your parenting, in your teaching, in your family, in your life at work. What is my source of truth? Last thing as we wrap up. This is clarifying something that, that, that you might be thinking. But there are some Christians and some churches that take this teaching from Jesus on oaths. And they believe they are forbidden to take oaths at all. At all. For example, the Quaker church. They don't take oaths of office. They don't take oaths in court. They don't take oaths in marriage. They don't take oaths in general. Instead, they affirm those things which binds by the law but isn't religious in nature. So is that what Jesus is commanding us to as his followers? No. That is playing the same religious games that the Pharisees did. Oaths in and of themselves are not evil. It's the practice of using oaths to lie that is the problem. In the New Testament, we're going to see Jesus and Paul take oaths. So oaths aren't evil. You can go and take a marriage oath. You can make marriage vows. You can take an oath of office and an oath in court. But you should not need a public oath to speak truth in your life. Charles Coral sums it up nicely in his commentary. He says, in summary, Jesus prohibited the use of misleading oaths, but he did not intend to prohibit the use of oaths at all. Oaths in court, marital vows, oaths of office, and the use of other oaths on solemn occasions to emphasize one's truthfulness comport both with the biblical teaching and Christian practice. So it's not wrong to take a public oath. You don't have to skip jury duty now. Um, but, but for the reasons sta already stated, we should eliminate oaths from our personal everyday speech. You should not have to swear to God to tell the truth. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. So as we wrap up, this is a fairly straightforward message from Jesus. I think it's a message that we can get on board with. But even though it is simple to agree with, right, it's hard to live this out. So Melinda's going to come and, and we'll spend some time reflecting. But as we reflect, as you think about your life, where are those areas in your life that you struggle to be a person of truth? Maybe for you it's at work. Maybe it's with your friends when you're just kind of chatting and gossiping and talking. Maybe it's at home with your children and spouse, and it's just so hard to constantly fight with your children and tell the truth time after time or time again. And so as you think about that area, first pray that God would reveal those areas where you're struggling to tell the truth. Help you to recognize your lies. And then secondly, have the courage this week to be a truth teller in that environment and wherever God sends you. Along those same lines, you go out into your life. Don't see truth telling as a burden to bear, but view it as an opportunity to be salt and light in your world. And as you look different and people ask, why are you so uh, focused and so worried about the truth? Why are you trustworthy? Why can I trust you when I can't trust other people? Be ready and willing to share the ultimate truth, which is the gospel, the hope of Jesus, which leads to life. Speak truth and point people to him in your words and deeds. And then finally, we all have to do this. We have to decide, we have to settle what is our source of truth in this life. Is your source of truth the world? Is it a favorite blog? Is it social media? Is it yourself? Or is it and will it be the Bible? And if you decide the Bible is going to be my guide, it's going to be my source of truth, then it's not always going to be easy. 
There are times that the Bible is going to call us to hard things. There are times the Bible is going to call us to higher standards. And there are times that the Bible will come in conflict with our culture. But you have to decide, what is my source of truth? One of my favorite passages in the Bible comes in John chapter 6. In John 6, Jesus has preached this really hard teaching. And his followers, those that aren't his disciples, they're kind of running to the hills. They're like, I I don't know what he's talking about, but I don't want to be a part of it. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him, are you leaving too, Peter? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In life, the Bible might not always be easy to follow. It will put us in conflict with our world. But we believe it to have the words of eternal life. We believe it to be truth, and so we make it our authority even when it's difficult and even when it comes in conflict with the teachings of our world. But we have to decide what is our source of truth. What do we believe in? Is it the Bible or is it something else? And that decision is foundational for all aspects of our lives. And so my prayer for you is that today, while we reflect and this week, that you would wrestle with that decision. And that you would consider what is my source of truth in this life. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, After I pray, Melinda will play. And we'll just spend a few minutes reflecting on who God is and and how he is our truth. And then I'll come back and pray and close us. God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you that, uh, that your teaching is so relatable and so applicable to our lives. Um, God, I just pray for us that as you, uh, these next few moments as we reflect, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal those areas in our lives where we are uh, struggling to tell the truth, or maybe we just become unreliable and untrustworthy. And God, I pray that as you reveal those areas, Lord, that we would confess that sin, Lord, and that we would turn and trust you in those areas. Maybe we would apologize if need, by, need be to someone who, uh, who, who we've not been truthful with or not trustworthy with. And God, that we would commit to uh, following you in that area of our life. God, maybe most importantly, Lord, I pray that we would truly wrestle with this question of what is our source of truth? God, is it, is it us? Is it our feelings? Is it our emotions? Is it the world around us? Or is it your word and your teaching? And God, I pray that you would help us to settle that in our minds. Settle what is our source of truth. And we really wrestle with that and think about it. And God, we pray that you would speak clearly to us on what is truth and who we can trust in this world. So God, I I pray that in these next few moments that you would uh, just help us to reflect, that you would speak to us, Lord, and that you would cause us to follow you uh, in a greater and a deeper way. God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Lord, again, we just thank you uh, for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your, uh, for your truth. Lord, we thank you the Bible is um, trustworthy and is a firm foundation for our lives. And God, I pray you would just speak to us this week as we uh, seek to live out um, your calling in our lives to be salt and light. 
uh, God, and that we would do that, Lord, and that people would see you in our lives. And God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they might experience your grace and your forgiveness for the first time. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, just a few announcements for you. Um, if I can get them out. Again, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you don't mind filling that out and placing the box on the back table, I would appreciate it. It's also where you place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, we have youth group and kids night that meets here at the church on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, if you have questions about youth group, you can see Mr. Justin or Miss Emily. Uh, if you have questions about kids night, you can see me. You can talk to uh, my wife, uh, Melody, downstairs. Um, we have our children's, our Sunday morning children's class schedule, like the, help, the teachers that help with that. That schedule is on that back table. You can grab one of those if you're on there. If you're interested in serving that in the future, talk to uh, Melody. We would love to get you involved with that. Uh, same is true with, uh, with worship team. Uh, we have small group Bible study that meets here at the church from 6 to 7 on Sunday nights. Uh, but there is no small group tonight. There's uh, a couple hours of good commercials we're going to watch instead. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so no small group for that. Um, so enjoy uh, your afternoon. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Be honest with people. You didn't have the Eagles from the beginning. Um, and uh, yeah, have fun. Uh, so have a great week. We will see you uh, next week. Uh, and I'm going to stop talking. All right. Thanks. You are dismissed. <laughs> mm -hmm.